Hello and welcome to Kuna Quest episode 192. I'm your host, Mike Apps, a.k.a. Wheels, and with me as always... You'll have to Hi. speak up. I'm wearing a towel. David McBurney. <laughs> <laughs> and your man in Japan, Michael Baker, Gaijin Monogatari. Just going to preemptively apologize to the audience. My computer uh, exploded itself at some stage over the past few days, and now I need to, and now I'm on my phone until further notice. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, not more than one episode. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, or I will FedEx you an old laptop. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> uh, well, hopefully, it doesn't come to that. <laughs> yep. So, uh, that aside, uh, <laughs> any further questions, bearing in mind that I've already explained my hair. Uh, How did it explode? Uh, in many different places. Uh, Not quite the meaning of how that I meant, but oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> Listen, we're using figurative explosion here. I reserve that right. But... Uh, almost like three different parts of it started breaking at once, which leads me to believe that the one part they're all connected to is breaking. Uh, right. And that's not a user-replaceable part. I'm going to put that out there. Not in this case. Not in the laptop. At that point, it's just like, nope, you're just going to have to get a new laptop. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, apologies to all the listeners. I'm doing my best. How dare you. I'm sorry, that was me. Oh, fine. <laughs> what have we been up to? Not nearly as much as you, apparently. Yeah, uh, I've also had a lot of time for games recently for once, so that's, that's going to be a lot when we get around to me. Uh, uh, we should probably let you guys lead off then. Should I go first? Sure. Go first. Do it. Uh, What have you been playing? I'm sorry. I'm coming off a binge of the entire Cobra Kai series. Been playing Cobra Kai, the official game of the movie. Wait, no. No, I actually plan on playing that because it's supposed to be decent. But also, that's not a joke. No, that's the real game. It's a real game. Uh, I've definitely seen it. I think I've seen it on like the Switch eShop, and I like looked at it for a long minute and wondered what happened. Yeah, no, it's it's supposed to be like a pretty decent brawler. The only the only like negative thing I saw was like uh, probably not worth like the forty bucks it normally retails for. So wait for a sale. But I mean, yeah, okay, yeah, that's that's a little much. But I mean. If that's the worst you can say about it. Yeah, no, it looks pretty decent, so I'm probably going to give it a try. Uh, But as far as, like, actual games, uh, I have been playing some more of Dork Souls 3. And uh, since I apparently can accomplish, never accomplish anything on stream, promptly after playing it again off stream, I beat another boss and made some progress. Uh, this time. Uh, which character was this on, and were you getting through the catacombs? Uh, or no, this is just my mage character. I haven't played the other one in a while. Maybe they'll do that a bit on stream. Gotta help Clarence Beef Tank. Yeah, Clar- Claretta Beef Tank. You mean? 
Uh, yes, Claretta Bank, Beef Bank. Excuse yes. Me. Uh, I beat the Deacons of the Deep, Deep, which is a... Oh, I love that fight. It's a pretty simple fight. Uh, the area to get, get to it is not simple in the slightest, and it was driving me insane. <laughs> which, and it's the I place where I rage quit. It's the place where I rage quit the game to, to begin with. Just like... To, to unlock like a, a nice shortcut into the majority of the area go just requires going through this ridiculous stream of enemy placement but um yeah the tragic comic part is i don't recall having particular issue with this area so i'm not even sure what you're referring to yeah I don't know. Just like the the long stretch along the the rooftops till you get inside like the actual cathedral. Ah, uh, okay, yeah, that can be pretty neat. Yeah, like there's archers, there's little annoying guys that um drop drop from various places. As you do. And so yeah, got through there, beat that boss, uh, wandered around the catacombs a bit. Didn't look at a map, uh, but somehow ended up at a bonfire <laughs> in the middle of the catacombs. So there's that. Good work. Yeah. Uh, and also uh, prompted by you starting to play some Atelier, I went back to uh-huh. e- Eska and Logi finally oh, and started making my way through that again. Uh, just doing some... And finally made my way to the second major request. Good work. So I was going to say, that's one that is actually fairly well scheduled on what you're going to be doing when. So Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, but yeah, liking it quite a lot. Enjoying the combat. Enjoying like the little objectives you have to do once you get free time. And yeah, it's, it's very good gonna try and gonna try and stick to that but uh yeah my main goal this year is to finish dragon quest 11 and persona 5 royal so i'm gonna have to dig into those more some more soon yeah how much have you played of i know you're on royal you got to like dungeon 2 how far did you get into dq 11 uh i am a bit past when you get silvando Okay, still pretty early. But I'm yeah. about to get the next two party members, which I don't think I ah. get anyone past those two. So the old man and uh, the old man and punchy lady. Yeah, they're great. I like them. Yeah, they're they're really cool. That's, that sounds like the name of a Japanese sitcom. <laughs> the I'd old man it. and punchy lady. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I wouldn't watch that. Um. I mean, other other than that, I've been actually been playing some Minecraft Dungeons on my own. Cause my my kid my kid wants to play it sporadically, so it's like, okay, I want to do some of this new DLC. So I've just building up like been building up a separate character on the Switch version, uh, you know, so that I'm not like over leveling the character I usually use with him. So yeah. Uh, got through the main campaign again and uh actually it's kind of better single player i've been getting better gear (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. So, that, uh, that where you are at this point? Yeah, that's, and let me think if there's anything else. Obviously, I jump around uh, between games a lot because I'm crazy. Um, we did some other world streaming. Uh, yes, yes, been playing a little Outer Worlds. Uh, been playing some Civilization because I recently bought Sid Meier's book. Sid Meier's presents Sid Meier's the book. Sid Meier's <laughs> book, Sid Meier's memoir about Sid Meier. Forward by John Romero. <laughs> Uh, oh, uh, that that reminds me. I need to play more of uh, uh, Empire of Sin by, oh, yeah, yeah. by John Romero Studio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all for me. Someone else talk. Uh, you want to go, or should I, Gajan? Uh, you go. While you still can. Okay. Prepare <laughs> for the big list. Um, let's see. So. Uh, to start with the thing that Wheels already hinted at, I've, uh, I finally bit the bullet, and thanks to some Christmas eShop credit from our good friend Wheels, uh, went and grabbed the Atelier Dusk trilogy on Switch. Yay! And it promptly first sat down and worked out what order they actually go in, because the Dusk trilogy just downloaded to my Switch in an arbitrary order. <laughs> Don't know why I did that, but it it downloaded them like Esha and Logi, then it downloaded Aisha, and then it downloaded Shali. And I okay. I knew that Esha and Logi was not the first one, so I was like, well, this is a lie. Uh, so worked that out, started playing Aisha, uh, promptly realized that I was going to not be sure whether I was doing the time stuff right or not, and then decided that I needed to stop caring, and so did stop caring about uh, wasting time, and have been just sort of poking at it. I'm probably about eh, six or so hours in. <laughs> so, yeah, Esha doesn't actually have that tight of a time limit. Mm. and it's, It seems like it's giving me three years. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's got a time limit, but you can finish it several months before the deadline hits and then just muck around a bit. Yeah. Easy. Um, I'm still like keeping my nose, uh, my eyes out for like uh, things that increase the amount that you can like gather within a day and mm -hmm. that let you transport between areas, but I haven't spotted any of those yet. So uh, they'll come. Yeah. Yeah. Still not too far in. So yeah. But yeah, Ash is the one with the the open time limit and not much else to direct you for scheduling. And then Eska and Logi is the one with the very strict schedule. Makes it sound like they were responding to people like complaining about Aisha or something. But oh no, it's just two very different styles of uh, Atelier yeah. format. I mean, there have been previous games with similarly open or similarly um, segmented styles. Yeah. It might have at least been intentional to release one and then the other, though. Yeah. But, I mean, part of it is just the storylines. Like, in the case of Asha, you know, it's just her looking for somebody. But in the case of Eska and Logi, they are actual civil servants. Yeah, so they have things that they have to do. 
Yes. So there is a plot reason for the scheduling in Eskenlogi. <laughs> and then for the Shallies, they just ditched the entire calendar system. Yeah, which feels like it's going to be weird to get to, but I mean, I'll certainly get a taste of many different kinds of Adelaide playing through these. Oh, yeah. Uh, this does it's remind a better me that story. I, so. This does remind me that I, uh, I found out something that I hadn't been aware of uh, while looking up info on this, which is someone actually translated one of the re-releases of the first two games. Like, there uh, is a fan translation out of the PS2 versions of 1 and 2. You mean uh, Mary and Ellie? Yeah. Oh, cool. Somebody actually... Did. That's probably the best version out there. Yeah, they also apparently applied a bunch of bug fixes in that patch, so... That probably was quite necessary. Um, yeah, so I'm interested in checking out that patch when I have a computer account. Uh, I mean, bug fixes or... Actually, no, I, think, I don't think it was the PS2 version that actually had a Trojan on it. No, that was the Dreamcast version. That was the Dreamcast version, yes. Okay. I, I would hope that they would take that out for the for any further ports. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I think they, there was also something about, uh, when I was looking at the patch notes, about them take, adding in like some little like pieces of art that weren't originally in the PS2 version had been hacked into that version. So it seems like they really wanted to make it as good of a version of Adelaide 1 and 2 as they could manage. So. Oh, yeah. I mean, now that they actually had the disk space for it for on the PS2. <laughs> I mean, the PS1, it was tight enough at times that, like, literally all of Ellie's backstory section, that, what you would call the intro, was on a separate audio disk. <laughs> as, oh. a, as an audio drama, because they could not yeah. actually fit it onto the, uh, the main disk. Gee, I wonder why no one had an appetite to translate this game. Uh... <laughs> Too bad, because it was a fun game. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I'm if you if you like that, if you like fairly low story, high characterization shop simulators, I mean, I'm not against that. Yeah. But yeah, I was just excited to see that someone had actually done it, since it's like, oh, this is kind of a, the first, the beginning of a very kind of important and long running series, and that someone actually has actually translated these. So. Yeah. Now I remember when I actually, actually when I reviewed Marie, it was like, yeah. I was like, yeah, I, I could say better things. I could say worse things. But to be honest, you don't, you don't get to be literally the, the case study for an entire subgenre of video game, without mm -hmm. doing a lot of things right. Yeah. So. Uh, so yeah, there's my. That's my where how things are going in Adelaide. Uh, due to computer explosion, I've had some spare time in the past day, so Funny how probably go for the next few days. So, uh, yeah. good good thing to play something nice and relaxed, like yeah. uh, Adelaide. Uh, let's see. Uh, let's see. What else was I playing? Uh, oh yeah. Um, I'll hit another one that Wheels uh, implied. Uh, I have also been playing some of the Outer Worlds. Yay. Uh, I'm playing the Switch version. Uh, I'm very impressed with the update patch that they did, which you'll never mistake it for the PS4 version, but it brings the actual visual details much more in line with it. So, and you know, it just it plays good. It's a fun, it's a fun RPG. I've been enjoying. 
Uh, currently just trying to do essentially every quest in Monarch, which is kind of a big area, so <laughs> might be here a while. Nice. Uh, I haven't tried that patch yet, so it's good to hear. That it's... Yeah. Uh, I was mentioning it on our on the stream that was not a podcast last week, but uh, since many people probably did not see that, I guess I'll bring it up. Uh, they did a lot of very impressive, like, if you look at the patch notes, they're fascinating because there are a lot of anything to get more CPU. Anything to claw back some CPU to use for like environmental details. Uh, hmm. To the point where one of the patch notes is that they they were doing they, they made some changes to how sound can propagate so that it'll like less sound propagates and like in very few circumstances will that ever be observable to a player. But it means that, you know, they can guarantee a certain amount, a, a lower degree of processing overhead. And so they put that into more environmental details. It's uh, hmm. fascinating, some of the things that they, that they did. And, you know, a lot of excellent work coming from, I think it's Virtuous that did that. But, yeah, so just great game, having a lot of fun with that. And then the... The curveball that I alluded to as my uh, New Year's gaming resolution. I booted up Kingsfield. Oh boy. Okay. <laughs> Kingsfield, Japan, the 1994 one. Why? Uh, Have you considered uh, because... making better life decisions? No. Um, <laughs> because I think that, well, one... I think that early 3D games are very charming in a very silly way. Uh, Sometimes. Yeah, uh, and in this case, uh, it was also just that it's something that, one, has a devoted following, but two, is actually kind of a pain to get a decent amount of information about. Hmm. Uh because at least in English, because like it's all super scattered. There's like one game FAQs guide that somehow is still being updated. <laughs> like I, I was looking at the like notes on it and it was referencing the idea that it had been updated in like 2019. Like truly bizarre. Can't even imagine. Uh, but there's one. Uh, when you look up information on it on YouTube, there's nothing. There's like uh, a couple of very like, I, I was not about to listen to these people Let's Plays and one long play. And when I get super too confused to, for words, I just go check the long play and play it at double speed because it's a very slow game. And it's still very process processable at double speed. Uh, but yeah, there's just, there's just not a lot of English information floating around about it. And very few people that are willing to analyze, like, what kind of game is this 1994 3D dungeon crawler? And like... <laughs> What were what were the design ideas going into it? And like, it's it's an important game, like it or not, because like it's the first game video game that's from software made. Uh, prior to that, they were a business software company, uh, and so it's fascinating to find out about what that was. So I was like, oh, I'll play it. I'll play a bit of. The, I'll try to finish this. I want to. I want to play through these and figure out like how related are they to like you know the one of the bits of colloquial wisdom that has shown up in 
the Western fandom of the Souls games is that the Kingsfield games are the predecessors to them. They are spiritual predecessors. And that is wrong. But, uh, <laughs> but like, I, I mean, they share kind of a mood, but in terms of what they're trying, like, this is something that one of the things I found as I started playing the games uh, was I started looking up, like, has From Software ever commented about re-releasing these? And all I could find was Hidetaka Miyazaki, who is the director of the most of the Souls uh, and Souls-adjacent games, basically saying uh, that he would not be willing to make another Kingsfield game himself. He would feel that it needs the original director uh, by virtue of the fact that they have surface-level similarities, but that they're attempting to accomplish very different things. And he's extremely correct. Uh, so... The story involved here is uh, you go into a tomb or something. The opening text crawl doesn't explain very much. Uh, and most of the plot is occasionally... Like, this is one of the things that is vaguely souls. Like, as much plot as you're going to get usually comes from, like, talking to someone and them making something that allows you to make an inference. But it's a much simpler, more direct plot of seemingly, like, monarch po possessed by an evil god possibly <laughs> uh, and hold up in a weird old tomb inside of a cave uh, but yeah so I've been, I've been playing that and I've got some observations the weirdest thing I guess I'll say is I am surprised to say I actually kind of like it uh, what? it's very <laughs> difficult to recommend but mm -hmm. it, does what it's setting out to be effectively. It's a, a slow-paced, atmospheric dungeon crawl uh, that was clearly made on essentially no time and budget. When I went looking into it, from what I can tell, it was developed in six months. Wow. Uh, which makes the... It was developed in six months by people who had never made a game on new hardware, and the fact that it functions as well as it does is frankly baffling i was gonna say that's but, like game effort of the year award right there yeah but basically like the 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 thing that really makes it hard to recommend for someone who likes first person rpgs uh i guess this is something I, i've been streaming some of my playthrough to friends while i while they've been doing other things but as they've been observing it one of them was like you know i totally play this if your turn radius wasn't so slow. And he is 100% right. That is one of the hardest things to recommend about the game somehow. Uh, the turn radius, it's you turn like a boat. Uh, if you just stand, uh, if you just stand there and turn, you're looking at like two or three full seconds to turn 360 degrees. Wow. Like it's gonna, it's, it's very slow. And that also affects how you have to interact with combat, which is the other thing that's like, you have to get used to this. The way I've felt while playing it is that it's almost like the 3D equivalent of combat in like East or something, where it's very <laughs> difficult and has, in the sense that it's like, you're not literally having to bump into the enemy off center to hurt them, but it's similar in the sense of it takes a lot of practice to realize what the game expects you to do. Weird. Uh, because you have 
a stamina meter, sort of like it's not really like the uh, it's not really like the one in the Souls games, though. Uh, as a friend pointed out, it's actually more like the one in Secret of Mana. Hmm. Where like it slowly okay. builds up, and then when it hits a hundred percent, like that's the most damage you'll be able to do from a swing. And if you try to swing earlier, you'll do less damage. Uh, okay. Like that's how it works. But your swing is almost is super slow. Like it takes forever. And so what the game is intending for you to do is sort of start swinging, step forward close to the enemy, and then before they can retaliate, step back. And it has a weird rhythm to it, and you can get good at it, but it does have that same sort of East 1 and 2, I'm not fully, like, it takes a while to determine what the game is actually asking of you. But if you can get past that, and the fact that the game seems to only have seven or so pieces of music, <laughs> and the fact that it's an ugly 1994 PS1 game, the actual dungeon exploration is very... I don't quite know how to describe it. It's almost relaxing. Huh. Like, it's, it's a pure uh, exploration game in a lot of senses. Like... You're wandering through a dungeon and you will, like, you run into a door that's locked and it's like, okay, well, where's the key for this? It doesn't say what kind of key it needs. So uh, I'm going to have to go looking for them. And eventually you find, like, some guy who's like, oh, no, they stole my cross. Please get my cross back. Give him the cross back. He's like, here's the, here's the key I had. I don't know why, I, why it was in the graveyard. And it's called the deceased key. So you wonder if he's just an idiot. But... Uh, you start opening doors and you find like, well, what's in here? And then like, eventually, like the, the way that the game entices you to the second floor, I guess, is illustrative here. Because there is a hallway that you'll find probably within two or three minutes of starting the game that is just covered in, uh, that is just like, it has arrows flying through it at a rate of like five a second, just constant. And you have two ways of getting through that. You can grind so hard that, the, that you can survive just walking through the hail of arrows. Or you can do the smart thing and uh, actually like explore the dungeon until you find the thing that deactivates the trap. And that's tough because like some of the, the key to doing this requires you to both have a key... Uh, to both have one of the keys that is lying around the dungeon and figure out where it goes to, but then also the way to deactivate the trap is behind a fake wall. And you start to get a sense, like, the dungeon isn't arbitrary enough, it is well-designed enough that you start to get a sense for how, for where fake walls are. So you don't just have to rub yourself up against it. There's, like, a certain character to, like, this seems like a place with a fake wall. There will often be uh, one of the things that's kind of neat that they do with sound, there's almost always like enemies behind fake walls, and because enemies love to make noise, you will notice like, why am I hearing enemies from here? I shouldn't be, and that like will clue you into fake walls, uh, or enemies suddenly disappearing uh, will sometimes like is sometimes a cue that like, oh, there's a fake wall around here. Like that kind of design element is just kind of fun, but uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm I'm rambling, but it's it's actually 
an interesting game. Uh, if you like very early 3D games, uh, I think that it's actually worth going back to with that context. But I also am aware that there are a lot of people who play it and be like, this sucks. And that's understandable. <laughs> but uh, I got, yeah, uh, I was telling Wheels before we started, the game is divided, the dungeon is divided into five floors, and I'm most of the way through floor two. And I believe uh, that that based on like the length of playthroughs I've seen, that's probably getting to around halfway through. I think five floor five is probably pretty truncated, but uh, it's it's interesting. And it's like you just there is a certain interest in being given so little, uh, so few cues as to what to do. About the only character I've seen that consistently hands out hints is a guy who mostly deals in stolen objects. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. he's obviously selling stolen stuff, but he'll talk about things that he wants. Uh, and that will, and that, because of that, you'll get clues about what some of the items do. Like, uh, there was a character I found who had, like, she was identifiable because she's playing a harp. So the harp keeps making noise. Like she offers to trade the harp for a healing item because she's apparently gone blind. But you give her the healing item she wants, you get the harp. And it's not clear what the harp does, but if you've talked to this like uh, stolen item dealer, he'll talk about how he wants this harp because it can cause bridges to appear where bridges were not. <laughs> and... Uh, that's the cue that it opens up new areas by playing it near chasms. It will uh, cause bridges to spawn in those chasms. But yeah. I could probably go on for quite a bit longer, but it, it's, it's an interesting game. I, I like it. Uh, I, I might actually make good on that New Year's resolution of playing all four of these games. So Yay, I think. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe someday I'll have a streaming setup capable of uh, streaming one of these while we're doing a podcast. <laughs> Shoot for the moon if you're thinking about getting a new computer is what I'm thinking. <laughs> mm -hmm. Dream of better days. But yeah, that's what I've been playing. It's a lot, actually. But <laughs> uh, So what have you been up to, Gaijin? Well, I'm still doing Atelier Ryza 2. Yay. And I've just. Hmm? It's Is doing, that living up to expectations? Oh, it's doing a great job. That's good to hear. Good. Yeah, it's, uh, it's fixed several uh, minor issues I had with the first game. So, uh, most of which weren't really worth complaining about to begin with, but just things like the NPC side quests now actually have NPCs that look like NPCs. Um, instead of random people on the street. <laughs> and uh, the uh, the ruins that we're going through right now are very... There's a, there's a wide variety of places to visit right now. Mm. Let's just leave it at that. And the, the entire part where you are now able to dive and swim underwater mm. is fun. 
So. And they haven't broken it. <laughs> yeah. And somebody at guest was apparently uh, decided to um, be clever. Um, so you probably notice the the chestnut looking things that are like one of the basic items in every Atelier game. Yeah, yeah, I had to use a couple of those. <laughs> yeah, and in um, they were originally called Uni, which I think is still the name in, Je- in English translations because nobody bothered to actually translate it. It is. Yeah, I can but Uni is the Japanese word for sea urchin. Uh-huh. Because they apparently look like sea urchins, and um, uh, when, when I um, did a, an FAQ way back for one of the DS games and an item list for the Game Boy Advance game, I I ended up translating them as tree urchins, but apparently nobody else thought of that one. Uh, a good one. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, so this game has like four or five different varieties of uni that you can pick up, uh-huh. but when you're diving in the lake you can find an item that looks exactly the same as one at the bottom of the lake (laughs) except it's registered as seafood (laughs) and you would think oh it must be a sea urchin and you'd probably be right except the name for the saying is kuri (laughs) which is the Japanese word for chestnut listen a good old water chestnut Oh no no! There are mizu uni water. There are water versions of the chestnuts already. Just to make it more confusing. <laughs> yes. So, so and now officially in Atelier, the urchins grow on trees, and the chestnuts are small scuttly things in the water. <laughs> you know what? Like, that well point, played, Gus. Well played. Why did it take twenty four games to get to this point? <laughs> God, twenty four games. Oh God, that is that number. Oh. <laughs> yeah. It's like, um, yeah, well, a couple weeks ago when somebody asked if we could make a top ten list of games where each game on the list was its own number in its series. Did you? I think yeah. you guys may have done that while I was out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was kind of annoyed there that you already <laughs> Sorry did it. about that. Uh, but it was like, I was trying to come up with a list, and I realized, you know, every Italian game that I like starts from Rorona on, and Rorona's number 11. <laughs> I haven't. I have not actually played games six, seven, eight, nine, and ten out of the Atelier series. <laughs> See, several of those are Iris games, I think, right? Three Iris and two Manichemia. That's the entire okay, second half knew... of the first okay. decade there. Yeah, I didn't realize Manichemia was counted as like a number game, but I wasn't either for a while. But no, they are officially um, A six through A ten. Huh. Fair enough. Yeah. Whereas all of the handheld games are separate. How weird. Yeah. Which is, I mean, I was kind of disappointed that they didn't at least try to bring the back in for Nelky, but no. Yeah. That would have been nice. I would have liked to have seen all um, those. Yeah. Um, And I could technically also be playing Outer Worlds as well, but I haven't actually opened that one yet. Thank you, Wheels, for proving within 48 hours that yes, the game was released on the Switch in Japan and the Wikipedia was wrong. Oh, Thanks, was... Wikipedia, for failing us. It's, it's but... funny because I was, I was just looking on Amazon Japan to find you the US version. Mm-hmm. And so and I saw that immediately. It's like, is, is that? That's that's not an ESRB rating. It's like, oh my god, that's a Sarah. Nope, it, it's it's a C E R O Z rating. Yep. <laughs> yep, that makes sense. 
Yeah. Which I'm that I'm not quite sure what that translates into because they can give you the Z rating for quite a few things, but mostly uh, crime is the big one. Yeah, like theoretically, Z would maybe track with AO, but they give it out way more than anything's ever gotten an AO. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, also in Japan, they're not afraid to sell Z rating games in the stores. Yeah, like that's the thing is that like the reason that they don't give out AOs is as much like a political thing of. Plenty of retail store state. We won't stock it. Most of the, I think all the major console manufacturers have said we won't sell it. But yeah, I mean, it's like the X rating for movies. It's like yeah, it exists, but no, but I mean, it's like the death knell to the movie if you do. Mm-hmm. I don't even think that. I think it actually got retired at some stage, like a. Yeah, I know that it got switched to NC seventeen, which is still which is still. Not used. Now that most like studios will not release, bother releasing it because it's like uh, uh, too much red tape. But, yeah. yeah. Again, Japan has absolutely no trouble with releasing a CEROZ game, and in yeah, fact, lot, uh, most of the grand of, there are quite a few major American series that have gotten that rating. Yeah, I mean, uh, all of the grand theft auto games. Evil games have also gotten CEROZs yeah. as well. Yep, so, I mean, yeah, Biohazard, the um, um, Grand Theft Auto games. Um, Zombies and crime, baby. Yeah, actually quite uh, a few of the major, Ameri- major American RPG or action RPG games. I think Borderlands got Z. Huh. Yeah, just uh, I think this says something about how American game studios approach large amounts of violence. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I think No More Heroes also got the Z, at least on one platform, possibly, because it was, like, censored variously in different ways, depending upon, like, what platforms it was being released on. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, like, it's one of those things, like, Z would be equivalent to AO if AO was something that you could actually release. Yeah. Yeah, in in that sense, it, it means absolutely not for children. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Except in Japan, it also means yes. If you're an adult, have at it. Go, f- have fun. Go for it, baby. Here's some exploding heads. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I'm glad that you'll get the chance to play that because I think it's very good. Uh, it is. Although I feel like the second time through now, I'm making like all the same decisions. Anyway. That's how I always do these things because, like, every time I think about the other options, it's like, yeah, yeah, I could do something different, but I'd have yeah. less fun doing it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't actually want to see, like, I mean, usually I play these games like a goody goody because I don't actually want to make things worse for people. <laughs> That's not fun. That sucks. <laughs> uh, but I've been I've been having uh, a good time with that. Um, Let's see. So, Rise of Two take up most of your time. Yeah. Oh, I mean, technically, small children take up most of my time, and Rise of yeah, Two is I just mean, in terms for... of video game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's um, it's just a good game. Good. So, that comes out shortly in the West. next week. Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, by the time this podcast actually gets posted, it will probably be out. Yeah, I think uh, that puts us uh, 
I think that's as close as two releases in the Adelaide series have ever been between Japan and the U.S. Pretty close, yeah. And they're like a month or so out, so, I mean, hooray! It's a long period where we didn't get these at all, or got them at very strange, like, who knows when delays, so. Yeah. I mean, technically, America was mainly missing the first five games of the series. Yeah, yeah, but that felt like a long time, especially when I was reading PlayStation Magazine doing previews of, like, Adelier Lily? Whichever the first PS2 one was in, like, 2001. Lily. Yeah, Lily, and being like, what is this? A.K.A. the bullet that you guys dodged. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that one's not great. <laughs> I mean, it, it is very, also very quite fun. telling that um, when they release the um, Plus Edition within... Uh, within the calendar year. Yeah, that's a Mia Culpa edition at that stage. Yes. That's exactly what that is, because it is not possible to complete the game satisfactorily with just the main game. I just have, like, a multitude of questions to, like, not just Gus, but Sony. Like, how'd you let that through exactly? I mean, the same way that one of the Artanelico games has a game-breaking bug in one of the in the middle of one of the boss fights. Yeah. It just I mean, that one, I'll almost like it's less confusing to me because it was at the point where they clearly stopped caring about the PS2. Like, no, but I mean, it's it's completely possible to finish the game. Yeah. You just cannot finish a major quest line. That just seems weird. Uh, whatever. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, like uh, that's that's the that's the curse of Adelaide, I suppose. Uh, this game might be non-functional when <laughs> initially released. Thankfully, there's patches now instead of. Well, hope the plus version's good. <laughs> no, I mean, only one game in the series has been even near the level of Lily for being broken, and that would be Atelier the Lee's. Yes. Yeah, the DS one. I've heard so much about. Yeah, that was the one where I'm still not quite sure what happened to the development cycle because our initial screenshots looked nothing like the actual game. And I mean nothing like the actual game. Yeah, that's... uh, Well, at least they've never repeated travesty like that. Most of the rest are more just... Well, this is a little broken, a little quirky. (laughs) I know they're all quite quirky. Yeah. Some of them are good quirky, some of them less so. In fact, mostly quirky. Yeah. I mean, that's what makes them nice. I mean, like, there's not really anything else that plays like this. So. Nope. Atmosphere will get you a long way, as will just a unique identity. Mm-hmm. That was before we dive into questions, I want to briefly acknowledge something that was uh, amusing to me, but an asked and answered straight up in the comments section of episode 191. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shaman comes and says, uh, as we prepare for New Year's uh, 20, uh, as we prepare to New Game Plus 2020 on Maddening Difficulty, what's your goal? Uh, what's a goal you hope to complete for 2021? I'm hoping to get through David's least favorite FF10 content this year and finally beat Penance. Note to self, maybe I should resolve to hold responses until after listening to the episode. Don't worry about it. Uh, just want to say, no, nah, it's fine. It's fine. 
but we did answer that. So glad you got your answer. <laughs> but yeah, just wanted to catch that before we went on to actual questions. Mm. Well, <laughs> Wheels is already in fighting form. Listen, one-year-old not sleeping consistently, etc. Yeah. Yeah. Also saying that you should be. Also, mind. at the same time, stupidly binging uh, Cobra Kai. So, <laughs> not an intelligent mix. Not an intelligent cube. Um, but yeah. Uh, otherwise, I have access to the questions via the Discord app, but. Uh, I don't necessarily know if I should be the one steering the ship. Okay. Let's, oh, I've got, you know what, wait a minute. Let's see here. We got the long ass list. Starting with with Platy-M's questions from the very beginning. That makes sense. Yep. So let's, let's just get through Matt's questions first before we continue on to the, how many ones we have? 130 questions that he provided to us in two or three text dumps. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, huge thanks to MVP Fireminer for this uh, uh, unprecedented yeah. number of questions. I mean, this uh, is this is twice as many questions as the ones he handed us last summer that lasted us literally five to six months. Yeah, so much appreciated. <laughs> yeah. So, so from Platinum to the start, okay. With news that the new Kaseki game coming out in 2021 is going to change up the battle system to make it slightly more action-y, is this a trend? Atelier went dozens of games with turn-based combat until Ryza. Now Legend of Heroes is slowly moving away from pure turn-based. Are they trying to follow the Final Fantasy formula and slowly move away from turn-based? First of all, Ryza is extremely turn-based. It just happens to have them running around visually on the screen with no control of what, where they're going. Sort of like DQ11, actually. <laughs> yeah. So um, it's it's not that the, it's an active system. It is that the presentation is more dynamic than just standing in two opposing rows and whacking each other with swords, a la Final Fantasy VI. I do think that that is in itself a sub-trend of the ten, tw- ten trend towards big-name RPGs being more active or action-oriented, like the idea yeah. of at least the appearance of dynamism in the battle system i mean it's if anything it's more it's a bit closer to grandia mm. in that at, or at the very least the uh, relative location of enemies can be important strategically but mm. um yeah mostly it's just in Ryza. it's just for appearance's sake um Ryza is very much a solidly um active turn battle system and mm. that has been the norm for atelier for at least six or seven Wait a minute. Possibly nine iterations at this point. I'm not quite sure. <laughs> so, I, I would say that there's been kind of a broad trend towards more action-y battle systems, just because I think a lot of people like them. But, I mean, it's not like an entirely one-way trend. We just saw Yakuza go in the exact opposite direction. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, unfortunately, one of the things I really didn't like about, for example, Metal Magazino is that it did follow that trend much too strongly. And so, um, and then really did not do anything interesting with it. Yeah, you need a strong idea of what you're going to do when you make that kind of thing. And it's easier for something like Final Fantasy that shifts so many of its systems constantly anyway. 
Yeah. So like usually they wanted to have like at least one strong core unifying concept uh, when they made and, a new game anyway. Yeah, and when your game is what heavily based on a specific style of turn-based combat and all of the big booms you can get out of it. Yeah, no. Yeah. Yeah, thankfully, uh, Atelier is not known for its combat systems to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. They're fine. And, They're um, not. I mean, <laughs> but, um, good news for you, Dave, but the Dusk series has one of the best combat systems in the entire series. I've been and, trying to uh, work out what... Uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, um, and uh, Rise has got a good one, but unfortunately the enemies tend to be a little too flimsy for me to be able to take it full advantage of it. Mm. So, um, yeah. There, there's quite a few minor mechanics in battle that I have almost never seen because the enemies die too fast. <laughs> I've been trying to work out uh, in Aisha, there's like, there's there's a meter that can be used to like bring in defenses or do follow up attacks, but there's like two kinds of follow up attacks, and I'm not sure what the difference is between them. And the tutorial did not explain them. Oh, uh, it's been a few years, so I can't really tell you what they are. But um, yeah, there's like back attack, and then there's like something that I forget what the other thing is. But like, um, I think it should be like one version is people that are actually in the active party coming in to defend or assist. And the other version would probably be somebody in the back row jumping in to blast things. Hmm. At, check, least, um, but... at least in Eschatology, that is exactly how it worked. Um, but hmm. that was more of an upgrade of Ashes. Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'd expect that... Uh, I mean, also, some of this is also just that pure turn-based systems in order to expand upon them, typically make them more complex, which can make them daunting to new players. So adding in light action elements can make, uh, can give you an excuse to change the combat system in a way that doesn't necessarily completely change it, but does give it a new face when you're making a new game. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Anyway, also let's see, uh, Matt's next question is for you specifically, David. <laughs> Said, you keep talking about end of semester a lot. So, what are you working towards? Uh, a complex major, which is why I'll very occasionally spout off about find an excuse to spout off about something I just learned about. Uh, that's about all anyone needs to know. <laughs> but thank you for your interest. It's very polite of you. Yeah. Let's see. Next one for wheels here. Is it too early or too late to book a spot on episode 200 in a couple months? Uh, uh, it seems like a perfect time. <laughs> we yeah. would have wanted you on it anyway. Yes. <laughs> and uh, last for me, the really more complicated than it looks question. Why are used games so inexpensive in Japan? Oh, boy. Yeah, and I want to just jump in with the with the joke because new games are so dang expensive. I mean, they're not. I mean, yeah, comparably, yeah. they're no more expensive than America these days. It's yeah. the it's uh, movies that are ridiculous. But no, um, I mean, the, for I mean, the ba most basic answer is simply supply and demand, because um, 
in this case, there's a bigger supply. Um, they're more likely to make large numbers of the game to begin with. Um, and in the cases where they do not, like some of the late end ga um, Game Boy Advance games, you can tell because these are some of the games that go for $100 a piece. For example, the uh, remakes of Metabots. Yeah. Yeah. Um, th that's a weird case where the American versions are much cheaper than the Japanese. Yeah. Uh, but that doesn't normally happen. Um, yeah. So um, it's a combination of a higher print rate to begin with, um, a culture that, at least since the late 80s, has been far more focused on conserving what you have, and um, a complete lack of rental sh shops. Yeah, that's a big one. Yeah. So the Japanese secondhand game um, franchises or stores have developed in a completely different sort of ecosystem than GameStop in America. For the better, much, much better, for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. Because GameStop uh -huh. has, like, this unified thing of, like, well, they want, they don't want used games to go down in price too much unless they're clogging up inventory, so a lot of times they sit there at $5 less than new. <laughs> yeah. Whereas, I mean, well, there's also the fact that, I mean, how many used how many major used game outlets in America are there aside from GameStop? Uh, none that aren't like mom and pop stores or regional at most. Yeah. Um, let's see. Along the bypass that I used to walk almost every day to get to work um, five to ten years ago, up until um, one major buy or yeah, well, up until the earthquake, there were five different used game stores on that strip of high of road. Yeah, there was uh, one book off, one A2, um, two other um, stores, the two that still exist. Um, they're kind of sibling stores on two different sections of the road. Yeah, just um, there's quite a lot of variety for a while. <laughs> yeah. And um, there's still, at, I mean, well... A couple or back last month, Wheels asked me to look into finding Yangus for PS2, which I still have not found. But I've checked seven different stores in my city that were easily accessible. Mm -hmm. um, I would love to. I would love to dare you to find seven easily accessible, completely different used game stores in any given city in the United States. Mm -hmm. um, probably not going to happen. So, see, I'm trying yeah. to remember. I was, I saw like a news story. I'm not sure. It's like saw one of those like big, uh, like has everything used game shops. Like Super Potato was doing like essentially like blind bags of that cost like a several hundred, if not a thousand dollars, that just had ridiculous things in them. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to remember if anyone actually disclosed what they got out of them, other than saying that they that the price kind of made sense. Wow. I mean, the last time I was able to get games from a lucky bag like that was when I got Dragon's Dogma and a bunch of others for, I think it was a combined total, combined total of 4,000 yen. Not bad. <laughs> and I sold them all back and made 5,000 yen back. 
Heck yeah. Actually, no, 40, actually it was 4,500 yen back, and I kept Dragon's Dogma. Not bad. I, mean, that's a good I even mentioned in the review that technically I got paid 500 yen to play this. <laughs> worth it. Yeah, worth it. So, um, but, I mean, one, I managed to get Resident Evil 4 in oh, this yeah. um, bag, and that was like within the first three months of its release. <laughs> so, that one right there um, basically paid for most paid of for the, the whole bag. experience. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I had zero interest in playing it anyway. <laughs> I am not a zombie person. So. Yeah. Meanwhile, RE4 is my favorite game ever, but each their own. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. That's, uh, that, uh, that used game store competition will do things to you. I mean, it's actually terrifying if you go down and look up the list of every company that has been merged or eaten by GameStop. There used to be a lot of them. There are not anymore. Yeah. That's why I'm saying the ecosystem is completely different because there is one. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I was saying like that one stretch of road, there are only like two stories out of the five left on the road, but the companies that ran the stores still exist. They're just in different locations. Yeah, it's just that those particular locations don't exist anymore. Um, either due to it being just a really high rent corner and it got sold out to did not survive the earthquakes. Hmm. Which was, uh, yeah, that, that'll do a number on any business. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I of, this, of the two stories that did survive, um, I actually visited both of them not long after the earthquakes and they were having... Um, they had like literally half the store space um, sealed off because they were still trying to um, pick up the books. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean, should mention that these are these were all combined manga and video game stores. So, yeah, nerd stores, really. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the fact that you cannot actually rent video games in Japan has probably helped bolster the secondhand uh, market by a lot. Especially now um, that can't rent games here either yeah but i mean in america it's you can't rent them because you simply can't find yeah, a place to rent them no anymore and not because anymore. it's actually illegal yeah yeah so i mean so in, a, in japan first there was more of an incentive to create a turnover selling buying games selling them back buying games selling them back and there was also less likelihood that somebody would just trash a rental game because it, who cared Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm just looking at like mm-hmm. every uh, like the ones that I can quickly call to mind that GameStop ate at some stage uh, were at some stage they were Babbage's or were related to Babbage's in some fashion. Yeah, I remember uh, Babbage's. Yeah. Then there was software, etc., that they ate at some stage, as well as Funko Land. They ate EB Games at some stage. Yep. It's yeah. It's it's been a lot. Yeah. Uh, it's been a lot. Yep, 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 yep. So yeah, what else was I thinking? Um, 
Oh, yeah. A random comment from Pause on Twitter um, introduced me to an old blog called Acts of Gord. Oh, I remember that one. Which, yeah, it was apparently the, the trials and tribulations of a guy who ran a used game store in British Columbia. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm just reading through Very this. Very like, there, Yeah, there is no store in, in Japan that would put up with half the crap that happened here. Yeah, there's a lot of just like, oh, this is just kind of you attempting a criminal act and failing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, there's also the fact, I mean, I was also thinking like, in Japan, all of the game boxes are empty. They keep them set in the back, so there's nothing to steal. Yeah. Unless it's in a little baggie attached to a wall, in which case nobody cares. But We would really rather it was just gone. We would like money for it, but, I mean... Mm-hmm. Not too picky. Yeah. Yeah, that one's a trip to read back through for a number of reasons. Mm. I'm always surprised that URL is still up. Because <laughs> uh, that, uh, that uh, business has not existed just based on when the last story's reference, not for at least 20 years. <laughs> yep. I think the most recent thing referenced is the recent at the time PS2 launch, so. Yep. Which was a whole different fun story for anybody trying to scalp stuff. <laughs> oh, lordy. Yep. Yeah, that was... Uh... It was impressive how long it were a pain to get hold of. Yeah. Basically until the end of the first year. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, the PS2 is just a very weird chapter in the history of console gaming. Yeah. I feel like the PS2's reputation has helped a lot by the fact that you couldn't get hold of one during that first year in the U.S. because that is not a good year. But... Yeah. No, I'm just thinking the fact that it lasted nearly two complete generation cycles. Yeah, yeah, I think the final release game was like Pro Evolution Soccer 2014. I was going to say it was in 2014, whatever it was. Um, yeah. And oh, that's, it's <laughs> Yeah. And that's just um, the fact that Sony was trying desperately to cut back on game production for it in or- because it was in competition with its own successor and then finally sort of giving up because they realize they recognized that they weren't going to be stopping people from still buying the thing yeah it's also the last time i remember a console getting like not just cheaper but cheap like by the end of its manufacturing life a ps2 was a pretty inexpensive item yep but that kind of doesn't happen anymore i feel like the PS3 bottomed out around $200 and never got cheaper. Uh, I don't think that the Wii U ever successfully had a price drop. Uh, you could get it really cheap the... late at the Yeah, end. but it was not an official price job. Price no, this, it, well, I think it was a refurbished one, but it was direct from Nintendo. You can get yeah, it pretty cheap. Yeah, just that, like new ones that you bought at a yeah, store yeah, were yeah. always the same price. Uh, what was the other one? That I was thinking of. Oh yeah, they just discontinued almost every kind of PS4 in Japan, apparently. 
They discontinued yeah. the PS4 Pro. They discontinued like a bunch of different like variant models. The only kind you can still get is the like I think PS4 Slim. And it's just one of the, like that's inevitably going to happen everywhere. And it's that's one of the weirdest things about the weird mid generation refreshes that both Sony and Microsoft did is that the more expensive model has to go away because it's getting it's the one that's most clearly getting replaced by the successor console the cheaper model is now the lowest barrier to entry cheapest version uh way to play games from that manufacturer so that has to stay (laughs) very strange very strange but yeah like the xbox one x has been discontinued everywhere you can still get an xbox one s but you can't get a Xbox One X, except for remaindered units that uh, places are still carrying. And now in Japan, same with the PS4 Pro. Mm -hmm. You can get a PS5 or you can get a PS4 Slim. 500 gigabyte version, the cheapest one. (laughs) Yeah, this is just something I thought was very funny. Uh, But yeah, Uh, I honestly doubt that that stays in production long enough to become cheaper than like $200, though, so... Mm I think the the era of a game console getting cheap enough to be an impulse purchase by the end of its lifetime is kind of gone by is now behind us. Uh, bit of a shame. <laughs> it's being a poorly thought out impulse buy. Just to find an article here on Eurogamer. Um, let's see. Microsoft tried to buy Nintendo twenty years ago, but quote unquote. They just laughed their asses off. <laughs> yeah. Like, this story has floated around a few places. I think it was first divulged in a book in, like, 2002. It was, like, inside the Xbox that, like, gave a slightly more clinical version of it, where, like, officially Nintendo said, we'll have to discuss this. And there was, like, there was not serious internal discussion, but it's like, well, we they did just offer us an absurd amount of money. We have to at least pretend we're contemplating it. But yeah, that uh, that didn't happen, <laughs> and it was never going to. Mm. But yep, uh, it must have been quite a meeting to be on the inside of, and knowing immediately that it was not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Though on the flip side, I heard that um, Nintendo made a very rare international um, acquisition recently. Yes, they just purchased Next Level Games, their Mm. Canadian partner that did things like Punch-Out! Wii and Luigi's Mansion 3. Mario? Mario! Uh, But yeah, uh, the the reasoning behind that is actually fairly clear-cut if you look into it, which is that uh, they had been exclusively partnered with Nintendo for the last 10 years. Uh, Luigi's Mansion 3 sold 8 million units. Mm-hmm. Um, and the people who run the company were in the pro- were like putting up their shares for sale, and it was not clear what any potential buyer might actually do with them if it might hurt any current relationship they have with Nintendo. So Nintendo bit the bullet and bought the shares themselves, basically. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. But yeah, so they like usually Nintendo would prefer not to bother by virtue of the fact that they have a fairly like a reasonable guarantee that they don't have to that like there is enough of a continuing business arrangement that they don't need to buy another company. 
uh, this was a case where their hand was forced and they just opened up the wallet. <laughs> cool. Yeah, interesting. An interesting one. Very rare, uh, but you know, a well well deserved bit of extra security for next level games who have been doing excellent work for well over a decade at this stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was just my thought. Like, good for them, you know, especially in times like these. Just nice job security. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. people you know, don't that. get fired from Nintendo very often. So. No, I, I was gonna say I distinctly remember the time during all the Wii U nonsense where they were basically like, yeah, we're not going to lay anyone off. Like we will, we will so, cut executive pay to avoid laying people off on the very sound business principle of people don't make things as well if they're worried about their job. Mm. <laughs> you don't get to be a 130 plus year old company without, you know, actually learning to care about the people working for you. And um, having at least some semblance of long-term planning. I mean, and we're talking about a Japanese company here. They tend to have pretty good long-term planning ability. Yeah. So that, that was a, yeah, it, it was, it's one of those things like it's a very neat story in the sense of like, I'm very glad that these people don't have to worry about their jobs as much as they might have otherwise. And it's also very interesting because Nintendo rarely does this. And sometimes, like to the standpoint of uh, situations where they probably could have bought a company just to avoid it going out of business, but they probably ended up just hiring a bunch of people in terms of Alpha Dream. But uh, uh, this was one of those rare situations where they just went for it. It does remind me a bit of uh, one of my favorite stories, which was uh, speaking of Nintendo and Microsoft. Uh, the Rareware sa- uh, purchase slash sale. I was going to say, was... what about Rare? Yeah. So what happened there was that Nintendo owned uh, enough, sto- enough stock that they essentially had like the right to match any offer for Rare. Mm-hmm. And Microsoft offered $325 million. Mm-hmm. And Nintendo was like... <sighs> Nah, not 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 happening. And turned around and bought Retro Studios for a million, <laughs> and uh, secured themselves a uh, Metroid Prime developer for the next uh, decades. Mm-hmm. Smart. But yeah, uh, that that buyout is one of the most unhappy I've ever heard of. Uh, just by virtue of like one of the funny, one of the most tragicomic uh, interviews I've ever read was from like ex-rareware people about seven or eight years ago where they were sort of reminiscing on the buyout and how like when the when the whole thing happened they were very excited because they were like nintendo's been stopping us from doing all these things we want to do and there were two reasons that that ended up being a problem one is that microsoft bought rare to make nintendo style games and rare wanted to make (laughs) wanted to make non-Nintendo style games. That was what they were hoping they were getting the freedom to do. So there was already that. But also, the thing that they found out during those development cycles was oh, some of these ideas were bad and they were right to tell us not to do them. <laughs> we need, and like the, the these tragic interviews where they were like, it was kind of useful to have someone hanging over our heads telling us not to do things. It's like It's like actually having an editor who cares about the final product helps the final product yeah tends to be tends to be 
But yeah, so that's that's a tragic little uh, set of interviews if you ever go digging for uh, rare uh, rareware Microsoft postmortems from the late aughts, early tens. Mm-hmm. So you're saying Nintendo wouldn't have made grabbed by the ghoulies? I'm saying that probably wouldn't have come out. Someone would have like bad fur day at... somehow happened. Conqueror's bad fur day was allowed to happen, like because I I would imagine because Nintendo was concerned that the N64's like demographic was not as was not as broad as they would like and associated too much with children. So here you can make your ridiculous like South Park squirrel game. Uh, and then they had like a great deal of difficulty deciding where they could market it, which led to some very strange parties in Vegas and ads in Playboy. Huh. <laughs> because it was the thought process was it needs to be advertised in places where children would never see the ads. <laughs> because they were trying very desperately to make sure that the game that was a joke about that was like, you know, a joke about here's a game about a cartoon squirrel. It's grotesquely inappropriate for children did not get them a bunch of angry letters about how they bought the game about the cartoon squirrel and their children are now corrupted forever. So I, I mainly remember the commercials from Toonami back the 20 years ago. Oh man. I don't think it was I basically what happens when a squirrel goes on a bender. <laughs> that is what happens in that game. Yes, exactly. They were also kind of in a rock and a hard place because they had made a lead-up game for when the game was supposed to be family-oriented. And so the only existing Conquer merch was Diddy Kong Racing and a Game Boy Color game about trying to, to, trying to get back all of your birthday presents that were stolen by a giant acorn. So that was a problem for them. Yeah. Oh, well. Well, should we actually continue to the actual long ass list? Sure, let's let's start. Have we? That, uh, none of that was on the long ass list. No, none of it. trouble finish. Um, well, we have no trouble finishing up a podcast anyway. So okay, but actual question from Fireminer number one, literally number one on the list. How popular were the mini consoles in Japan given that they had an easier time accessing retro hardware and games than a lot of countries? This goes back into Matt's question about used gaming. But the thing is, um, there's still a certain, what's the right word here? Not a, not depreciation, but um, the, the attrition rate. There we go. Um, just because they've still got a good second-hand market for, like, Super Super Famicom games does not mean that they have enough functioning models left to satisfy everybody. Old games break, and also, you know, sometimes people just sort of keep them forever. <laughs> yes. There is that, there is this, and there's also the fact that at least the mini consoles were at kind of optimized for current TVs, almost, maybe. Yeah, they they like you don't need to get a special connector to get them to work with a modern TV. Like they're not perfect; they have uh, input delay. But I mean, like just being able to take an HDMI cord, plug it directly into your modern TV is a lot. <laughs> I mean, and also just there's a lot of interesting options with them. Um, several years ago, oh, this must have been 2013, I guess. Actually, no, 
When was the Super Nintendo Mini released? Which year? Like 2018. Okay, must have been 2018 then. Okay, so um, <laughs> it was one of the years where my parents visited and we all went to Kurokawa Onsen to do some shopping, look around up in the mountains. Um, but yeah, Kurokawa Onsen is this tiny sort of community built around a ravine, basically. <laughs> it looks like something you might find in an RPG. This is where I see those like giant, like the giant ravine, and like in my brain, I'm seeing the giant ravine in Grandia too that you ride a gondola over. Yeah, not quite, not no, actually nowhere near not that big. That but it's path. it's an old onsen, it's an old um, hot bath town. Yeah, yeah. So, and so we were walking along the narrow little road between some of the stores, and we walked past this one restaurant bar place, and the people, the guys there had set up a Super Nintendo Mini. With a projector and a flat and a uh, back um, uh, backlit screen, mm. and they were running a super. They're running a Street Fighter Two Turbo Tournament. Nice. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, and that particular hardware combination would not have been possible with the Super Famicom if they had been able to find a Super Famicom that worked. Um, but even I mean, addressing that, I mean the the uh, hardware and random stuff store near my apartment sells a, uh, I can't believe it's not Nintendo console for like $40. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if I ever really wanted to play one of the Super Famicom games I still have in my closet, um, I could just get that for a fairly small investment and have it work. Yeah. yeah. Probably not as well as an original, maybe depending on the game, which is another factor to consider. But, um, but if you're really just interested in the uh, set of or short list of popular games that were put on the mini console, then it's all good anyway. And that's kind of the, the other thing about it is just the the mini console. Like when we're talking about it amongst like people who care a lot about games, there's always like, well, I need to hack it to put on like Terranigma or something. And it's like, that's not who they wanted to sell it to. Like, they knew pe those people would buy it, but that's not the primary audience they want to sell these mini consoles to. Yep. Like, they're for people who are like, I had a Super Famicom when I was a kid. Let's play some Super Famicom games. Yeah. Like, my brother bought one of the Super Super NES minis because it was an excuse to get nostalgic and play some Mario Kart and Street Fighter. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, of course, that like snowballed into him buying a switch so honestly it worked perfectly as far as <laughs> <they're concerned. laughs> yeah but uh okay. yeah that, that, <laughs> there, there's there's an additional like question of like who the the intended audience for these are as well mm -hmm. okay let's see going on question number two what are the chances of Capcom actually making an entirely new RPG unconnected to their previous IPs? Uh, mm. Monster Hunter is one of the biggest IP in the world, so almost nothing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they did come up with Dragon's Dogma at one point. Yeah, so I was they say, are that popped to... out of nowhere. Dragon's Dogma. Although, going. by all accounts, based on possible, uh, depending upon how much you trust them, leaks of the company's internal plans, Dragon's Dogma 2 might be coming. <laughs> so. we, we can hope but I mean the point being that it is fully possible for them to just come up with something if they really like the idea and they think it will sell 
Yeah, but it has to like specifically different. It can't just be a generic. Like we have a generic idea of we want to make an RPG because if they just decide we want to make an RPG, they'll use an old IP. If there's a new idea that goes with it, then it makes sense to make a new IP. So, <laughs> so anyway, the point being that it's not as outside the realm of possibility as you might think. Yeah. So. But hey, look forward to Monster Hunter Stories 2. Looks pretty yeah. cool. I was going to say, I know at least one person who's looking forward to it. Yeah. I think I know that person. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Number three. Let's see. Do Japanese movies have tie-in games like Hollywood movies used to? I've played a few. Uh, I've played let's a few. talk about the Famicom Attacking Woman game. <laughs> what? <laughs> It's, uh, it's an adventure game based off of a uh, Japanese... I think it's a kind of a black comedy. Uh, this, this was a relative... Like, A Taxing Woman was the localized title. Like, this did actually get, like, English, like, sort of the, somewhat theatrical, like... where Theatrical where you see foreign films release. Uh, 1987. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one Japanese Academy Awards, that kind of movie. Uh, but yeah, like there's a Famicom adventure game that is based off of, I believe, a Taxing Woman Two. Let's see, video game. Uh, well, it's connected to the first game. Oh, okay, so. it's connected to the first movie. But yeah, yeah. just a, just one of those things I love bringing up is like you could make a Famicom game about anything. <laughs> Yeah, or, or even a PC Engine game. Um, Wordwad yeah. on Twitter, he's been going through some of the random stuff he's been finding in Tokyo, and a lot of it is like visual novels based on popular movies of the mid-'80s. Mm-hmm. Um, I know, or we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, Sweet Home. Yep, that, that was, was a, fun. That's a big Famicom game. Uh, yeah. Captain made that. Yeah. <laughs> Or uh, more recently, um, there was an animated movie called um, like Haruka and the Rainbow Mi- or and the Magic Mirror. It was like a 2008 animated movie, and it had a DS game that was supposedly related to it and completely different. Yeah, it reminds me of there was a. I need to double check to make sure that my brain is remembering uh, who made this, but there's a. This is this is not recent. This is like fifteen years ago. But uh, the movie Steam Boy, which I think is an Otomo uh, flick. Uh, Steam Boy. Yeah, I remember Steam Boy. Yeah, I think it's Katsuhiro Otomo, the Akira guy. But yeah, the uh, guy made Akira. PSP game based off of that, and it's just one of those things. Like a lot of times, like these. These happen, but I mean, like, unless the movie was brought over, there's sure as hell no point in bringing over the game. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it happens fairly often in Japan, yeah. still, at least for anything that can be seen as falling within the random shonen manga um, popularity demographic. Oh, yeah, there's a million generic, like, fighting and fighting games and RPGs based off of, like, every shonen manga imaginable. Uh, yeah. Or, uh, what else I gonna say? There's probably a bazillion one tokusatsu games we just don't ever see a word of. Yep. Uh, but yeah. Uh, as for the Japanese film industry, I'm, I'm not as keyed into that as 
the TV industry, but I would imagine that, yeah, there are probably games based off Japanese movies we just never get because the movie we just get. <laughs> yeah. And conversely, there are actual game or movies based on the games, mm-hmm. which are actually, de- I mean, halfway decent movies sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I reviewed a couple of them last year. Uh, yeah, I was... Or two years ago now. Your story? Yeah, Dragon Quest, Your Story, and the Nino Kuni movie. There, the we same year, have... there was also a Tales of movie, and of course, Detective Pikachu. Uh, Detective <laughs> Pikachu was fun. I love that. Uh, and I probably should have reviewed Detective Pikachu as well, but it was kind of a hectic month, and um, it was like a week, or it was one that actually got released in America first, so I didn't see the point. Yeah, that's fair. I don't Which think we've seen... Because it was probably one of my favorite movies of that summer. Yeah. Mm. No, that was that was a really fun sort of you know popcorn summer flick. Yeah, uh, I mean it's probably the best Pokemon movie to come out in ten years. So. <laughs> yeah, it's been quite a while. Uh, yeah, certainly the most original ever. <laughs> but the thing I was going to say something about it. Uh, yeah, I haven't heard hide nor hair of that uh, that Tales of movie, but I think. I know Dragon Quest, your story, ended up getting picked up by Netflix in the U.S., and I think the Nino Kuni movie might have gotten picked up by someone, too. Yeah. And, of course, there's also, um, like, Monster Strike is on its third movie. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we were just talking about Monster Strike. (laughs) Yeah. Big evergreen brand in Japan as of this moment. (laughs) Yep. And the video, the DS game, or 3DS game is... I think it's supposed to be based off the anime because I was looking through um, like a plot sum- some plot summaries of the anime and there were individual like B um, like B plot stories that uh, and scenes that matched up to different parts of the game. Realized, oh, that's just in the game. Yeah, but the entire but the actual the way the game's plot ends is quite different from how the movie or not the movie the uh, anime ends. Oh, apparently. Okay. I suppose for fans. Yeah, and personally, I think it sounds better in the game. But, <laughs> but yeah, the game is basically Pokemon meets Marbles meets bit of Digimon and Persona. That's huh. a winning combination. Where where you can say meets Persona for pretty much anything with a high school um, social basis for its story. So. Yeah, one of those things that's like, well, this is what this is what English speakers will know about. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, uh, yeah, the, uh, that's that's one of those things. It's just like it's it's hard to get a read on this because we're. Uh, for people who live outside Japan, but I mean, same kind of licensing deals crop up everywhere. Mm-hmm. See random Cobra Kai video game. <sighs> mm-hmm. Yeah, there's always like st- stuff that I'm like, intellectually, I reasonably assume that there's a game tying into it, but oftentimes I don't know what it is or where it released. And Cobra Kai is one of those ones where it's like, when I saw it, I was like, oh. I guess that did happen. <laughs> <laughs> I heard something about like they were thinking about re-releasing the Scott Pilgrim game. They are going that to. That one yes. actually got announced. Yeah. 
Uh, that's going to come out on everything, and I will purchase it on my Switch, and then that will be nice to have again because I never picked up the DLC, and also it, my 360 has not been used in like five years. So <laughs> I got it on my PS3. Hey, guess what, buddy? Yeah, it's gone. <laughs> no, I still have it downloaded on there. I'm, I'm shocked that you're. The, well, you wouldn't need to worry about having it downloaded. I'm just shocked that your PS3 is hooked up. <laughs> oh yeah, well, it's, it's the only thing that can play Tales of Graces F. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, one day that'll get ported forward. No, it won't. <laughs> one day. Don't you ruin this for me? If the people, if the Tales of Vesperia PS3's dreams get to come true, then mine should too. <laughs> no, we'll get something other. St- Something else stupid first. Uh, what was the other PS3 one that got a Exilia? Is that what you get called? the Exilia 2 pack? Yeah. Those games are. I, I lost interest halfway through Exilia. It did not hold my attention very well. Yeah. One day I'll play Berseria. That one I've heard is good. Yeah, for good things. I need to get around to that. Okay. So, okay, here's one more question for th- that Dave might be able to do. Yeah, yeah. Do you think that the company Mikage actually develops new games, or are they just managing Image Epoch's properties? Uh, this one was one that I was curious about myself. For those who missed it, uh, Mikage was founded by former Image Epoch people and seems to have snapped up as many of their IP as they could manage. And they've announced multiple games. I'm not sure if they've actually released one yet, but I think that that might also be partly because of the whole COVID thing, uh, where which probably threw a lot of people's like plans for when to announce something and when to reasonably expect it to be done into disarray for mm. at least a few weeks, few months there. Uh, but yeah, um, so yeah, my. Uh, my understanding is like they they keep reaffirming that they have plans to announce something and release it eventually, and I don't see a reason to disbelieve them because they could get into some serious fraud trouble if they aren't. Uh, um, the game is Escape from Asura, twenty twenty one. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I, I, I don't feel what this like is about, but it's Nintendo Switch, PlayStation four. That absolutely sounds like something that you would release when you have a limited budget in Japan. Uh, <laughs> yep, exactly. Yeah, they, they also That's... did some sort of mobile version of Criminal Girls at some stage. That's a bit of a shame, but it pays the bills. Oh, never mind. This may be Criminal Girls 2. There's already a Criminal Girls 2. Or 3. Um, <laughs> let's see. Collaboration with Axis turned out to be Escape from Ashura. Oh, the oh, West. Here we go. It's a westernized version of Criminal Girls X. I think it's free to play for for mobile platforms, PS4, and Switch. Yeah, that's. I mean, well, that's what pays the bills, I guess. Is that like a sleazy gotcha game? Well, that's all gotcha games. One, but yes. (laughs) Never never mind the the uh, its status as a westernized version is up for debate. It's but it's a dungeon crawler. With a it's male a protagonist turned into a cat, must redeem twenty-four girls, and uh, yeah. But they also apparently announced some sort of tactical RPG that they haven't, that as of last August, they hadn't named. Mm-hmm. So, 
So yeah, well, they are they are obviously doing something. They're they're not they're more of a developer than something like Millions, which, to explain the statement I just made, uh, Millions was the company that sort of took up the stewardship of Technos's brands before they were finally bought out by Arc System Works uh, about seven or so years ago, I think. But basically, they were the ones that managed the Double Dragon and River City Ransom IP for a number of years. But they they were not internally much of a developer. They just sort of, I think they mostly contracted with other people. They did a couple of Game Boy Advance games, but they were not. They were a brand manager much more than they were a developer. Whereas it seems like Mikage's intent is to keep making video games. Uh, but yeah, so, you know, the, the soul still burns, it seems like. Yep. Uh, use an inappropriate uh, reference, but yeah. Uh, seems like Mikage will keep on trucking. Well, that's something to something to be pleased with, I guess. But I think that runs us... I think that's as many questions as we want to run through before Wheels dies, so... Okay. So you, four down, 126 to go. Oh, dear lord. Yep. And <laughs> you should be doing some plugging right now. Oh, yes. So, yes. Okay. Um, weekly plug. Let's see. Uh, Princesses of the Pizza Parlor, Kindle and Kindle Unlimited. Soon to be three paperbacks available, hopefully by this weekend, because this weekend is the author's birthday sale, uh, starting January 9th all the way for as long as I can extend it, which would be till Friday the uh, 8th, the 15th. Um, first five books are all 99 cents apiece. Um, if you want to buy all nine um, ebooks, please go ahead. Anyway, um, there were there were issues with reducing the price on the other the uh, other four. There no, that's is. enough of a taste for anyone's money, anyway. Yep. Um, so yeah, so it it is the author's birthday sale. Um, help me celebrate, please. And um, probably this podcast won't be up on the site until this sale is almost over, but um, hope springs eternal. Um, Make it and, tomorrow. Uh, oh. Yay, wow. Fancy pants here. Wow. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I've just been plugging it over and over and over on Twitter and Facebook um, and got a few other services to promote it on the day of. Fair enough. So we shall see how this turns out. Godspeed, I've got a little bit of extra cash. I might throw some down. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, so that's available on uh, as, kin- as a Kindle or paperback. And we're looking for Michael Yachty Meet. Yes, that noise as well. Um, we'll probably not get you where you're looking for, but it happened <laughs> and we cannot. Um, <laughs> But yeah, Yari Mizu, Y A R I M I Z U. And I believe the spelling of Michael is a little uh, out there too. Yeah, I mean, it's it's yeah, kind of it's phonetic a, for Japanese. Yeah. M A I K E L? Yes. Okay. I mean, but Michael. when we get right down to it, anything besides English spelling is probably more phonetic. Yeah, pretty much. But yeah, so if you get confused as to what you're looking for, well, you've now got way more search terms than you should need to find it. Yes. And, I mean, 
let's be honest, if you were actually searching for my name as actually spelled on my passport, you would be spending a lot more time searching. Yeah. We've left you the clues, listener. Let's see if you can untangle them. <laughs> yes. But we got anything else we need to plug? Um, I think that's it. Um, we all uh, found a shiny new dime. Uh, people should check out our streaming schedule. Phil's doing less streaming now, as well as other people are. Make sure you uh, follow the channel so you can get updates for whenever people go live. Um, there's there's going to be more of that uh, as we enter this new and bold year. Yes, exactly. And um, RP Gamers uh, Game of the Year Awards should be coming up in the relatively near future, so certainly keep an eye out for that. It's no a big one production. I'll vote for. Hades? Hades? Is it Hades? That game that I definitely played, yes. <laughs> That's right, uh, I haven't yeah. played Hades yet, you heathen. Listen, I had the option to pick that up, but I decided that I would rather pick up three Adelier games and hope that I liked them. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. Yep. And luckily, I seem to have chosen fairly well. So, uh, your fault. Um, well, I mean, you could have picked up the Mysterious Trilogy, and that would not have gone well. <laughs> there was never a point where that one was even in contention. Yeah, good, good, good. Like that, that, that one, I've seen people like some of them, generally not all three. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I've been putting off the dust games for a while. I needed to. This cleanses my soul. Yes. So go forth and enjoy the very interesting setting and backstory. That was a lot of what sold it, like just the setting. So I'm yeah. excited. I mean, you, you don't really see many games based on what is essentially a post-singularity magical apocalypse. Listen, there's a lot, there's a lot of words going on in there. I'm excited yes. to find out what happened. Yes. Uh, well, that's the mystery. We're, not, we're still not quite sure what happened at the end of the, by the end of the third game. It's just it's something happened. That's one reason why I'm really hoping that they will, in fact, go, um, do a fourth just game, um, like go and make a fourth one. game for the series. That would be yeah, fun. And that was really weird because there's I was impressed to find out that game the fourth Arlen game does not have a Wikipedia article, which surprised me. Weird. Yeah. Wikipedia's no been letting us down. Yeah, like it, it feels like Wikipedia got confused by the fact that there were like three Adelier games released in English in one calendar year <laughs> and just sort of gave up on yep. Scion of Arslan of Arland. Yeah. Well, um, something I'd like to point out is um, in Nelke, the yeah. the um, like the big anniversary game. Um, what one of the downloadable things that you can get for the game is Gust Chan, the series <laughs> mascot and um, Neptunia character. Yeah, and she breaks fourth wall all the time. Of course, hilariously. And at one point, she's talking to the Arland heroines, and she's like, "Oh, congratulations on the new family member." And they're like, what the hell are you talking about? And it's like, oops, oh, you'll find out soon. <laughs> important, important. Yes, um, this, and 
I mean, this DLC was made available after Lulu was announced for yeah, uh, impending release. But the interesting thing is, is that she had a similarly themed conversation with the Dusk heroines. Yeah. Huh. Not nearly as specific on any details, but the implication is there that there may be another Dusk game coming. And I really hope that I was reading that right in the Japanese. Uh, too surprised so. just by virtue of the fact that it's like if they were going to hint at that they would probably also have to admit that the game they would have to do it in such a way that kind of admits that game's nowhere near as finished as Lulua was when we were hinting at this mm. but. no I mean they I mean they can't be making too many games at once uh, they're still ma- I mean they're making Lulua and Rise at the same time yeah well Lulua's done yeah and we got Ryza and Ryza 2. Yeah, Ryza 2 is done. Uh, I would imagine, like, they also, that fairy tale game they made is also done. So, like, the question is, like, presumably it would be weird if it's not Ryza 3 next, just by virtue of the fact of two with the same protagonist and then a third that's not would be weird. <laughs> I mean, look at Iris, where they had three games in a row where you didn't even meet the titular character till the third game. That was weird. That game, those games seem weird. I've never, I did not play them. They seemed, by all accounts, they seemed like they were localized first by virtue of the fact that they didn't, they weren't as weird as the rest of them, which makes them weird in this context. <laughs> mm-hmm. they, they sounded like they were slightly more traditional JRPGs. Uh, yeah, never never got around to playing any of the Iris games. Mm-hmm. At, at this point, it seems like it would be weird if the next main the if Ryza isn't a trilogy that would be weird <laughs> yeah especially given its surprising Pop- popularity yeah yeah but yeah it, like it, that also just raises the question of what the other team is doing and another dust game is not completely out of the realm of possibility i mean the thing is when um you, something you'll notice going through the dusk games is that there are a lot of situations where you have three out of four themed items going on. <laughs> so, like, there is an NPC, there is a party member in all three, or a character who shows up in all three games who is trying to make contracts with elemental lords. Yeah, and that's her, kind of her quest thing for the three games. And there, but there are four elements in the game. <laughs> and yep, yeah, and if you look at, again how the game the locations in the game are described. Ash's area is east of Central, and Escaloji's area is south of Central, and Shally's area is north of Central. We never actually see Central. Hmm. Or west, but... <laughs> yeah, but Central could be west as well. I mean, yeah. yeah. And then if you look at the names of the games, you have Ground of Dusk, Sky of Dusk, Sea of Dusk, or Twilight. Yeah. We never see Fire. That'd be kind of neat, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, there's multiple ways thematically and, in a couple cases, um, plot points that we're kind of still wondering about that would definitely make a fourth game possible and worthwhile. Well, there's there's our prognostication. Maybe we'll get an Adelaide or Dusk 4 eventually. (laughs) I've been making this prediction for, let's see, five years now. Well, it would be weird not to at this point. (laughs) Oops, brings eternal. Come on. Come on, Gus, we're waiting. Uh, But yeah, I've got 
it's most of three games to get through. So uh, yeah. I, I can wait. Enjoy. I can wait for the time being. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I suppose we should probably sign off. Yeah. Uh, sign off. So, There's no mercy in this dojo. Well, not going to acknowledge that further. Uh, so questions, they go in the comments. Section. No mercy in this dojo. Or they go on the podcast section of this <laughs> uh, Acknowledge my joke. <laughs> no. uh, thank you to uh, Shaman, PlotEM3, and FireMiner for all contributing questions this week. Uh, if we missed your questions, let us know. Uh, if you've got questions, be sure to put, put them in. Even if you think we've answered them before, we'll probably say something different and possibly dumber this time. So, you know. Uh, but yeah, uh, otherwise, see ya, Space Cowboys. See ya.